Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Paul Church. Paul has worked in recruitment for 14 years, and for the first 11 of those, he climbed the ranks within a brand called Spinx. And then for the last couple of years, he's been the managing director for Interquest, and more recently started his own recruitment business called the Anima Group. There's loads that we covered here, but if you are someone that wants to be a top performer, a successful contract recruiter, you're gonna love this episode. And we also really dug deep into how Paul's gone about building communities and talent pools in his markets. Enjoy the episode. Paul Church, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for uh, coming to the space. What do you think? Podcast goals right here, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you've been doing your own podcast. So, um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, I definitely didn't start it here. Uh, started it in my bedroom on, on a mobile phone. So, hopefully, no doubt you'll have your own podcast studio space soon. One day I'll be in the dream factory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, where we always like to start this podcast is just, just probably something that you thought a lot about with your journey, hiring a lot of people, managing people. So, would love to hear your take on like what do you believe are the characteristics and traits that really make up a high performing recruiter in in today's market let's let's start there yeah it's a great question i think it's it's changed a lot yeah. uh, over the years certainly since i first got into recruitment i think now you need a lot more substance um, mm. i think you need a real appetite to become an expert in your market you know the days of generalists are long long gone so you really got to know your stuff because mm. you've got to be able to contribute to the communities you work in and add value to the, to the clients you've got, the, can, the candidates you've got, and really stand out. So it's not about gift of the gab anymore, certainly mm. not. It's about um, really wanting to be an expert and own your market. And that takes a certain type of person, need an intellectual aptitude, of course, mm. just an appetite to be the best. Love it. You use that word community there. Did that word get chucked around a lot when you started your career? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, 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 not at all. It was get yeah. on the phones, get on the phones, get on the phones. Uh, community was something uh, that came along. I think I realised just by accident that if I built mm. this community or ecosystem and I owned, I had access to who the clients were, who the candidates were, and they knew me, mm. that's what I wanted. And so community came from that for me. What do you think are the main sort of different mindset shifts when you think about my market over serving the community, do you know what I mean? What do you think of the, if I'm a recruit right now that still sees it as like, it's my market, that's how I'm approaching it, over I'm building my community that I can help support, serve, doing the same job, but I don't know, what do you think of the, if someone's like my market over community, what do you think of the, the sort of differences on the mindset piece or like how they're approaching things, thinking about things? I think community for me is about giving something back mm. and certainly giving something back first. And if you do the right things, I believe the right things happen. And if yeah. I think recruitment typically is seen as an industry, as something that takes from the market it yeah. works in rather than gives something back. So you can stand out quite easily by actually actually contributing in a positive way, mm. be it by bringing people together, be it by sharing information or data. So I think it's about giving something back first for me. Yeah, I like that, give them more than you take. I think the funny thing is, right, some people think, well, like, does that mean you won't be able to achieve your goals and won't be able to get as much out of your market community as much as you think, but actually it's... I don't know, we we're going to go into how you found it, but actually what I've found is the actual more that you give, you, the more it comes around mm, and absolutely. the more opportunities you get in these things. Absolutely. And I think you've got to make sure you tread the balance right and you know when to 
to sell as well. Mm. You've got to know when to sell because if you just build this great community but you don't ask for anything, you don't try and get anything from it, then yeah. you, you, you know, you've, you've built, built it for nothing. But I think it's about um, getting the balance right between the commercial and, yeah. uh, and the authenticity. Love it. So a lot that we can go into, but I guess just to, to frame it up, obviously started your career with a business where you ended up working there for about 11 or so years. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk a bit about that and, and your journey and progression, your career, and then went into an MD position which you're still involved in now, and then more recently started your own recruitment business as well, yeah? So I guess let's just start. Who was Paul before recruitment? Out of interest. Paul was on the dole before recruitment. <laughs> really? Yeah, Paul was lost. Uh, wow. Didn't have a clue. I got a decent degree, and I worked in TV production for a little while. Okay. Got, ended up losing my job, sat on the dole for three or four months, wow. um, and I didn't really... Yeah, I didn't really know what I was going to do, and it wasn't, I didn't have any burning ambition to, to make loads of money. Mm but I needed to make some money yeah. and recruitment just kept popping up and popping up. I thought, well, right, I'll give it a go. Yeah. So yeah, I was completely completely lost in what I was going to do myself. So how old are you roughly, do you remember? 22. Really, wow. 23, 23, It's come to me quite daunting, that, can't it? Mm. Especially when you went to uni and then you're like, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah, and in hindsight, you know, like anyone, picked my degree, which was journalism, mm. didn't realise that it was going to be really hard to earn any money from it. Yeah. Did get a job in it, then lost my job, mm. and then couldn't find another job in it. So I was mm. like, what have I been doing myself? <laughs> Last four years or whatever, a waste. So when you sort of it was Mortimer Spinks right that you joined so when you joined there did you, is it fair to say did you have a bit of chip on your shoulder then that you had a bit of a like right I need to make this work or what, what was the mindset early on I think early on I was didn't really still didn't know what I wanted to do so. and I was just a bit probably a bit annoyed that I was having to go and work in recruitment I couldn't <laughs> find anything else and yeah. I think the chip on my shoulder came after my first three months when they didn't want to keep me really? um, and they weren't, they weren't going to pass my probation I really kind of dug my heels in because I thought right if I lose my job here then that's the second thing that's you know, not yeah, worked yeah, out yeah. for me. Where, where do I go? So I thought, no, keep me. And then, then I had a chip on my shoulder. So really? it took a few months of it. Um, Why didn't they want to keep you? I wasn't applying myself. Wasn't really, I wasn't committed to it. I was there because I, I needed to earn a bit of money, but not because yeah. I actually wanted to do the job. And if you're not all in on recruitment, then you're not gonna, it's not going to work, is it? So they didn't see anything positive in me. So really. what did you say then? You're like, no, look, I, I am going to change. This is a job that I want. Like, what was the sound? I just said, I said, look, I'm committed to making this work. I yeah. can't, I'm not failing again, is kind of yeah, what I yeah. said. And luckily my boss at the time, he, he, he gave me that shot and uh, it worked out. Love that. So what, what do you think a career in recruitment's given you that maybe you least expected? Money. <laughs> money, definitely. Uh, yeah. I've never been, I was never that money driven at all. When I was young, I never thought I need to earn loads of dough. Yeah, yeah. So certainly it's given me money. And for me, money's not about buying loads of expensive things, but it's been really, it's allowed me to have options and do yeah, things I wanted to do. You know, I'm never going to wear a Rolex or anything like that. Mm. I wear a fitness tracker probably more likely. <laughs> uh, but it's given me money. And it also, it taught me, I think it showed me how competitive I really was as well. Um, mm. And how goal orientated I actually was if I had a goal in front of me. Um, so show me that. I love that. And I'm assuming as well, coming from that journey, maybe it's also been able to show you what you're capable of. Yeah. If you went, if you think of when looking back, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but now it's like, wow, fucking hell, I've been able to achieve these things. I've progressed my career because it's competitive externally as well as internally. Hundred percent. And it's um, it's a shame that everyone falls into recruitment and no one mm. actually grows up wanting to do it because it's it's amazing. You know, yeah, yeah. It's such a, it changes your life. Well, hopefully we can change that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the thing it is, it is such a great career choice, and regardless if you stay in it or not, I think the transferable skills like are so valuable. Mm. If I think of what it helped me, I, I think it helps so many people with their confidence, just inner confidence, which a lot of people would love to have more of. Mm. And then just the transferable skills of being able to build relationships, commercial awareness, I think it can help a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. So I guess what I always like to ask then, sort of knowing what we know now, knowing what you know now, what, what advice would you give Paul sort of starting out? 
in recruitment. A lot of people listen to this that are starting their careers. So what, what advice would you give younger Paul going into the industry? Yeah, I think assuming you've joined the right business and you're with the right people is just to trust them, that mm. they've been there and done it. And I think it's until you actually hit that that next level of success, it's, in, it's so hard to imagine what it's going to be like. And I probably spent a lot of, you know, had a lot of sleepless nights thinking what I was doing wasn't working. Mm. And I was just desperate for it to click. Uh, and my boss kept reassuring me that if I did the right things, it would work out. And I was. Um, but I think I probably was really hard on myself at that time. And if yeah. I had just trusted the process. The, yeah, the process and the people around me who had been successful before me, that it was going to work, I probably would have been happier, I'd say. I had that. How long did it, how, like, I know we're going back quite a bit here, but like, if you remember, how long did it take for you to then start thinking, oh, actually, like, it's starting to happen now? Like, because I think that's good for people to hear how long sometimes it can take. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was probably 18 months. Really? I mean, it was 2008, so we, yeah, had, we had no jobs. Um, we what, were, what market were you recruiting then? It was, well, it was IT. Okay. We, you know, IT needs. Got any IT needs? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Klein. IT needs. Yeah, and then, uh, but then we evolved into actually being experts in what we were doing and thinking, yeah. right, we need to define a market. But yeah, it took 18 months or so. So it was a long slog. And I think the challenge now is it's different because now you can get quite quick. Mm. You get instant gratification because everyone's got so many jobs on. Yeah, yeah, you earn yeah. money quite quickly, but then the challenge will come when the market changes again. So if I'm listening to this and I'm struggling right now, hopefully they're not, but I guess what, what are some of the, because I'm sure you've had this, you've ended up saying the same things to people that you've mentored, been managers of. So if I'm listening to this and I'm struggling, mm. what, from your perspective, what are the things that I need to keep doing day in, day out that hopefully would mean over a period of time it will really start paying off? Yeah, I think we, we had a chat about this in Intercourse yesterday. I think it's about short-term, medium-term, and long-term. Okay. Um, so the short-term is the jobs on your table. And yeah. That's what people typically just tend to look at and tend to work. Yeah. You've got to start thinking about the medium-term, which is, okay, how do I, those clients I'm working with, how do I get into them more? Yeah. How do I expand them? And in long-term, the clients you don't even know yet, what am I doing around that? Um, so am I putting out my brand? Mm. What are people recognizing what I'm the best at or yeah. what I'm saying I'm the best at at least? Um, am I creating events? Am I posting things on social media? So mm. I think it's just down to the planning, which is don't just look at what's on your desk right now. Think mm. about what's going to be on your desk in a couple of months' time. No, I like that because it's so easy to look at just what's in front of you. Yeah. Isn't um, it? And we were, I think I, we, we phrased it as the fight, the battle, and the war. Fight, battle, and war. I like that. You need all of them. I love that. Mm. So let's talk a bit about this sort of 11 or 11 year journey then, because what, what I'd really be keen to sort of get your thoughts and experiences on is that sort of pull the recruiter to then pull the leader, because mm. a lot of people struggle with that and a lot of people aspire to be a leader. So I guess firstly, what if you think of where you started, nearly didn't pass your probation, like what besides work hard, applying yourself, mm. why was Paul then able to get those promotions, which no doubt people sitting next to you were going for as well? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Initially, it was certainly because I did something different, which was cr created a brand, which okay. was, I was the first one really to do that in, in Spinks. Then we tried to roll it out a little bit more after that. What does which, that mean, creating a brand? So building a market, a specific market, rather oh, than so being like a niche. generalist. Yeah, niche. Got you, got so you, got it you. was a, a content management system called Drupal, yeah. uh, written in PHP. So I recognised there was a short, there was a good balance of the shortage of people out there and a high demand. Yeah. Uh, but enough if I knew everyone and I knew who the clients were, I could I could make some money from it. So got to know all the Drupal developers, became the Drupal recruiter, nice. and put myself out there like that. Um, so that was one of the key things, I think. And it was just, just, it was just all down to numbers. So in terms of getting promoted to a team leader, yeah. it was just down just to hitting my numbers. And like in recruitment, it doesn't matter if I could make a good leader or not, but you get yeah. promoted anyway, don't you? <laughs> uh, and then you, then you have to learn as you go. On, it's interesting, right? So on, because niche is really common now, isn't it? Mm. 
what makes a niche a good niche? Or like some people think, am I too niche? Mm. Am I too general? Do you know what I mean? Like what are the key sort of principles that you look for to go, you know what, that could be a really good niche and there's enough there. There's enough to sort of make enough money from or maybe actually, no, it's maybe not big enough. Do you know what I mean? What, how do you think about that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there probably, there probably is a magic number formula. I don't know exactly what it yeah, is. But you've got to have the right balance of, there could be enough people, but not too many. If a, okay. if a client could put an advert out and get loads of them through on their, on their advert, yeah, then yeah. it's the wrong market because it's too saturated with candy. So it's, they've yeah. got to be fairly hard to find, but it can't be in such shortage that you're not, it's not going to be worth your time at all. Yeah. Just getting the balance right between supply and demand. Okay. So like you said, got there on performance. So what, what we found, particularly at Recruitment Mentors, like you just said, you get there on merit, get there on performance, and a lot of the time you don't get a whole lot of support on how, to, how does Paul become a better leader. Mm. Typically, you have to be a pretty shit one to become a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, what were some of the challenges early on on that leadership journey where you're no longer just focused on your own number, your own performance, you're then responsible for other people's performance? What, what were some of the early challenges, do you think? Um, certainly, I think, we, you know, we talk about it all the time, the, you know, the billing team leader is the toughest position. Yeah. Um, and it's about, you have to learn to let go of certain go. things both in terms of financially, you think, well, I can make money out of this myself, but you're probably better off actually enabling someone in your team to make money off it themselves as well. Um, so that, that's, that's a tough transition. I think it's difficult to stop. I mean, certainly when I was a leader at the beginning, I was just controlling. You know, I was really? just like, right, do it this way. This is how you've got to do it. Yeah, and I wasn't yeah, yeah. really allowing anyone any opportunity to innovate themselves or flourish. Mm. I just wanted some, I was very directive. Why was that? Because you, you just knew what worked for you. So you're like, look, I'd rather just... Just do what I've done because you think it's just an easier way to get to success. Yeah, and I think it, I didn't know how to manage properly, didn't know how to lead properly. Mm. Only my way worked, so that's that's what I'm going to roll out of everyone, and they're going to have to do it that way. And that's really common. Mm. But like, so I guess someone that might be listening to this right now that might have that approach, what, what would you say to them to think about to get them to think about maybe yeah, if if it isn't just do this because it worked for me, what would the advice be for those that are going through that transition that may have, may have that leadership mindset? I think now more than ever, people don't want that approach. Mm. Uh, I think people will respond, to, certainly the, the younger generations coming through will respond less to that. People mm. want the ability to innovate themselves and do things their own way. I think you need to create the boundaries around what, what, what should and shouldn't happen, but I think people need to be able to find their own way. Mm. How do you go about finding that, what that way is? By trying things, testing things, being allowed to fail, you know, mm. trying things out, seeing what works, what doesn't. I mean, yeah. obviously, we're all, it's all time critical, time critical trying to get deals in. Yeah. Uh, but they've got to explore and find out the way that works for them. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, enabling them and making it a, a safe place to fail. And like, but then obviously there's a bit of a balance of like, if they keep doing the same thing and failing, then it's like, what, what are we going to change here and those things? But making sure people are aware that they can try things and, and it's okay to fail. Exactly. Love that. What about, what would you say, so we were speaking about the, the billing leader piece. What would you say a lot of people listen to this will be wanting to be a director one day, may even be um, spoken uh, to about, about achieving an MBO and on that journey. What would you say the, the main differences when it comes to being a billing manager leader compared to then Paul being a director? What would you say are the main differences? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry the recruitment operating system. For those of you that haven't seen, where have you been if you haven't seen this news already? But I just wanted to, to jump on and just say a huge congratulations to Vincherry, who recently joined forces with the Access Group, partners with a heavyweight who share their vision of providing a single operating system for the front, middle and back office for growing recruitment firms across the world. 
So what does that mean? Vinceri have the same people, the same vision, just way more firepower and resources to make Vinceri even better. So if you have not checked out Vinny already, please go and do so. Use the link in the show notes. You will not be disappointed. And of course, because you're going to be going through the podcast, you'll be looked after and you'll get your exclusive savings. Check it out. And again, huge congratulations to Vinceri. Yeah, for me, I think um, when you get to kind of director level, I think what you should be, your focus is should be two things, bringing new business in to yeah. the company to enable others and then developing people kind of desk side or, or collectively. I don't think um, that kind of level should be focusing on candidates. I also think one of the, one of the things that mistakes that leaders make as they go out recruitment is they stop doing the new business. You know, mm. they just stop trying to win new clients in. Uh, and I think that that's you know, why do you think that's important to like to keep your hand in that? You've got to add your value. Any, an operational leader, I mm. think, is one who will be when the tough times come, as we've seen a couple of years ago, the ones who won't survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got to be able to always say, "Well, I've brought this in. You know, this is yeah, what I'm, yeah. I'm paying at least for my own salary here, as well as developing these other people." Mm. And I think as well, if you stop doing it, how can you inspire others to do it as well? Yeah, that's a good point. How how did you carve out time to do that then? Because I'm sure a lot of people will, will think they're time poor as a billing leader, let alone the director and all the, the people management you've got to get involved in. You've got P&Ls to look at, you, those that, like you've got to manage managers. Mm. How do you always carve out time to do that? I think, I think as you go up, for me, I don't think you should be doing the resourcing side and that can yeah. be the most time extended thing you could do. So once you take that out, but again, what's the most, you know, it comes down to prioritization. What's the most mm. important thing is developing people and it's, and it's winning new business. Of mm. course, you've got to spend time doing, you know, strategy and things like that, yeah. which you do need to do and going over spreadsheets and P&Ls and things like that. But you've got to, you've got to fit them in as being not the most critical things for your, for your job. Mm. The most critical things for your job are to lead by example, win your clients and develop your people. Managing managers, mm. what's that like? Um, That's a different ball game, right? Yeah, again, it's it's, dif- it's difficult, and I think um, you need to make sure particularly with managers, you allow them to run teams how they want to run them. Mm. Again, if you're directing a manager how to direct his people, I mean, what's, what's the point? You know? <laughs> and it, does, it does happen. Um, so I think you need to be comfortable that you know, you're almost outsourcing this team and this, mm. pro- this challenge, this problem to your manager, and you've got to let them take that problem away and do it, do it the way they're going to do it. And you've got to let them fail as well. You've got to mm. make them, let, allow them the time to learn from their mistakes as well. So obviously it's really interesting that you said around the importance of like yeah remaining in the game business development so let, let's just sort of zoom in on that a second like a really common and i'm sure you've seen this there's definitely like a big shift going on in terms of like speak to a lot of recruitment companies now that have delivery functions mm-hmm. and they have a plotted career path where if paul wants to stay in delivery just focusing on the candidate side then he can do that whereas typically it was always typically like a 360 where you're doing client and candidate but a lot of people struggle with that transition where they might start on the candidate side, then they've been expected to bring in their own clients. What do you think are the, the main principles to doing BD well in today's market, do you think? Because I think a lot of people right now, I, from the conversation that we're having, I don't know, like could be getting complacent right now with sort of how stroking, like easy it might be to win jobs. But like, what do you think are the, the fundamentals and principles behind doing business development really well in today's market? Yeah, I mean, again, yeah, it is tough. For people coming into recruitment right now, um, they, they must think this is so easy, this mm. job. It's a bit of a false economy, it, economy it, isn't it? It is a false economy and it will change again. You know, we yeah. will come back to the hard times. Again, we've been talking about this week that um, there will be a time when the clients don't necessarily want to just be handing us loads of jobs and retainers yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So if you haven't 
come up in that? How do you adapt? It's tougher mm. to adapt, to revert to that than it is to learn that as, you, as you're coming up. So I think, I think most importantly is at this time, I'd say it's important that you're looking at the companies already in your network, yeah. um, and maybe already you're doing delivery for, and looking at how you can expand them and mm. get them really sticky to them so when the tough time, times come, you can reach out to them a bit further on. But again, it goes back to that short-term, medium-term, long-term planning. You mm. know, what are you doing to get your brand out there? Yeah. Um, and you, you do need a brand, even if, you're just doing, even if you're just doing delivery, you're probably doing delivery on one particular market, your yeah. Java, your .NET, whatever it may be. So um, it's important you're building that brand out, and that should stick with you when you, when you need to win a new business later on as well. Where do people start if they've recognised five of their clients? Could be clients that go from spending 100 to 200, 300 grand with them. Like, where have you typically started? Like, obviously, like you said, you've got short term, medium, long term. Mm. But like, if I'm listening to this right now and go, you know what? I know there, I know this client. There's more that we could be doing with them. Mm. And there's three or four clients that I, I feel like have more jobs that we could get, but we're not quite getting them yet. Like, what, what are the sort of first steps to getting towards getting those? Yeah, for me, a lot of the time, it's clients don't quite understand exactly what else we do. Mm. You know, they only know that, have that one relationship with that one consultant who's delivering one element to them. Yeah. So how do you get in front of the people? So again, it goes back, one thing we, I've done quite successfully, and we, we do it into Quest quite well, is we, we, we present data to the key people in the businesses. We put together reports every few months around what's going on in the market, the economy, yeah. um, and then we share it with our clients. We say, right, let's get in front of who whoever this might be relevant to, to help you with your budgets, your planning. We get in front of them, present the data. They get some value from it. At the end, we say, oh, by the way, we do this. You know, we've actually got right. an outsourcing model. We've also got a consultancy. We also have a finance division. So how about, is there anything else we could help with? And just by telling them, actually, we do this as well, like, that can sometimes be enough happen, yeah. because they don't, they don't know. I love that, yeah. So, yeah, just leading with, we've done a great job here. Did you know mm. that also we've been helping other companies with this, with that? We've got these functions. And like you said, if you're even then going a step further or going, this is data, this is information that could be useful for you. And by the way, we've got these functions that can support in those areas, can lead to good conversations. Exactly. So let, let's talk about sort of interquesting, because what, what I'd be really interested just to hear is, what's Paul's mindset going, because you went in there as an MD, right? Mm. So obviously, you was director at uh, Mortimer Sphinx before you left. So like, what, what's the mindset going into a role like that? Because I think typically, like, and I'm assuming here, it would be easier to be a director in a company that you've like worked your way up in and you've sort of gained your stripes. People are going, yeah, Paul, Paul is, is an unreal biller. You've got that credibility. Do you know what I mean? So what was the mindset going into a role like that to make sure that you wasn't that MD that came in and just sort of said, right, we're doing it this way. The way you've been doing it is wrong. Do you know what I mean? What was the mindset out of interest? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough because you're kind of institutionalised by a great company in Sphinx. Yeah. Uh, but you've come up through that. And actually, the mentality with Sphinx was always to bring in people from the ground up. So yeah. everyone's come up with that Sphinx way, uh, which was great for me. But at the same time, I'm going into Squintquest, which is a brand new business. People don't know me. And you start thinking, how good am I? I don't actually, <laughs> I don't actually know. I don't really know. I've never been anywhere else. I don't know how good yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think for me, the most important thing was to sit down, meet everybody, mm. listen to everybody, and spend about you know two or three weeks at least just getting to understand the business before I started to come in and give any kind of directive at all. Mm. Um, and I realised there was some fan- there are some fantastic people at Interquest who had actually come from all different sorts of backgrounds. So I learned, I knew, well, I can, I'm going to learn a lot from these people as well. Yeah, yeah I love that. How how did you? deal with, like you said, I think that'd be really common for people listening that might be considering a quite senior move, but like you said, a lot of people have sort of really gained their stripes in one company and like, yes, you can do recruitment, but how different is it going to be in this company? How did you deal with that, maybe that self-doubt that you might have had? 
I was lucky because the COO at the time, he'd actually worked with me at Spinks. So oh, okay. he was at Interquest and he kind of brought me in. So I had half, half a foot in the door nice. and, he, and he was like, you're going to be fine here. Yeah, so yeah. I had that reassurance. Um, but I think it's just about coming in and being humble and about being mm. confident as well, being humble about what you need to learn and, and need, understand you're going to learn from other people as well. Yeah. But, you know, if you've, got, if you've done well in recruitment at one place, you, you're going to be able to do well somewhere else as well. Yeah. Um, it's all about, you know, it's all about results. If you've got results in one place, there'll be something you can add. Mm. So what, what are some of the challenges that you're facing in that first year in that role do you think i think what i had to focus on was helping people be a bit more collaborative and okay. there, was, uh, there were a couple of brands within the business which i was looking after which didn't necessarily work together and it was but kind of opportunities to cross over and help yeah. each other and even the company the brands that i looked after they didn't really interact with each other really so, so kind of brought them all together now they're actually really together and they're all just kind of one big group so there was a lot of missed opportunities and mm. also it, it was fairly at that point we was a little bit reactive sitting on some big accounts and it was probably need to be a bit more of a new business acumen which we worked on and we, yeah. we got them there i think that's such an interesting challenge isn't it like where because it's competitive like i said internally and externally where do you even start in attempting to get people to collaborate more when historically there might have been like no this is our patch this is what we do like i want to make sure we like build as much as we can rather than thinking about Paul's team that could also benefit. Where do you even start in not like, trying to get them to feel that way? First, I mean, first thing is getting them all out together and enjoying themselves together and getting to know <laughs> yeah. each other and actually talking around what what, what they're doing together. Um, I started just little things like making sure everyone had visibility over who was working with who, like mm. sharing on emails all the clients nice. and, and the roles we had and what was going on. So everyone had visibility on what was going on, bringing everyone into t- meetings together. Yeah. But it's really just about getting people to just interact more together and just kind of sit down and say... Did you set any, like sort of not rules but do you know what i mean because there's nothing more worse than going paul fucking nick my candidate at that time i'm not do you know what i mean because mm. some of that can go on can't it? i don't know if even part of that process was like these are the sort of non-negotiables or this is how we work collaboratively or i don't know did you have to do any of that we certainly sold the benefit of the cross-selling you know there's, yeah. there's opportunities here with clients we've got in these other brands in the business you're going to do a 70 30 split it makes sense it's a no-brainer so mm. you're always going to you should be able to make money more money together mm. than separately so um so yeah t- typically that uh, by selling the benefit of that that was generally enough so how yeah because i know people would want to know that so how did you typically incentivize things then so it was you said 70 30 split as in so the team that have got typically the relationship but then they've gone oh they've said that they need help with this but we typically don't do that mm. what they would get 70 percent and the other team would get 30 or how would it yeah. i know it's nuanced but the delivery person would get 70 percent right and the, and the person whose client is because opened it up they get 30 percent got you nice i love that so when did the community piece start then like when did because i think that's when we first connected mm. i think it was during um I think it was proper during COVID vibes, no? Like, I think, like, I saw you doing things around mental health, you're bringing people together, you're doing webinars. Like, when did the this word community start showing up more more often in, in your recruitment world? Yeah, I think well, I think when I was a consultant and I built a candidate community, community around Drupal, I was mm. calling that a community, community then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but certainly with Interquest, I mean, the first lockdown, when all our you know, clients, most of them stopped hiring, we're just like, how do we stay on their radar? How do we give mm. them something whilst they get back up to speed? And before they, so when they do start hiring, they're going to want to work with us. So yeah. a lot of our clients are asking, you know, what, what are businesses doing around this and that? Um, so I said, right, I'm going to set up a webinar series each week and we're going to have an expert in to talk about a certain topic. So we, the first few ones were how to remote interview, yeah, how to yeah, remote nice. on boards, all these things were like crazy. You yeah, know, yeah, how to do yeah, all this yeah, all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then it just, it just grew from there. And in the end, I was thinking, I said I was going to do it every week. And we thought, well, we can go a bit deeper. We can start talking about mental well-being, mm. DEI, yeah. Uh, culture and values, EVP, and we've grown that community, which is called People, Commu- uh, Culture and Tech, which is under the Interquest brand, of course. Uh, it's about a thousand members now, Meetup. Really? Yeah. So, oh, what, so you started like a Meetup 
group and then people can sign up there and then they get notified of the events that are going on. Exactly, yeah. And it's been a webinar series, which then last year we brought it out as a podcast as well. Love that. So let, obviously with hindsight then, let's just talk, because a lot. I think a lot of people, like a modern day recruiter will have this as part of their business plan, along with the other sort of channels that they will be using. So how, and I know you're doing this now with your own business, but like how would you, like knowing what you know now, how would you go about starting that journey then? Because it, it seems like obviously it's quite reactive, but mm. you actually took action. I'm sure a lot of people had the idea of doing what you did, but didn't fucking take action on it. So mm. how would you go back now and like start that over again, knowing what you know now, do you think? What would be the, the game plan? Yeah, I mean, well, I've done this with uh, talent and growth for, yeah. the, for the Nemo group, really. But I think it's about firstly assessing who's your target audience. So yes. is it because you're trying to, is it candidates? Is yeah. it heads of talent? Like perhaps it might be for myself with the yeah. Nemo group. Um, and I think the best thing to do is get in front of them all and ask them what they would like to mm. see. What would add value to them? So if you have 100 conversations with 100 heads of talent, mm. that's firstly, that's 100 conversations with 100 heads, yeah, heads yeah. of talent who are then going to hopefully like you and engage with you further. Yeah, yeah. But you're getting the intel from them as to what they'd like to see. So don't just assume anything. Use the opportunity to, to get in front of people to discuss something other than recruitment and have not been not been transactional and actually find out what they want. I love that. As simple as that. Mm. So, so the key thing for you then is, I'm assuming if you really do the legwork on that, then whatever you decide to do, if it's bringing people together to discuss things or webinars on certain topics, it's just about making sure it's on things that people actually deem to be valuable or useful or would want to attend. Exactly. So let's talk about the, because I know we've spoken about this, like, okay, so we've done that, we've really understood what people would really appreciate, have, like, would see as value. How do we then make sure, like you said, we're not doing it just for community's sake? Like, where can we make sure we're having that commercial awareness to ask when necessary? Like, how, how do you think about that for people listening? Like, when when's the right time to sell? When's the not right time to sell? How do you think about that? I think once you've built, I think the challenge sometimes people have is they're scared to make that leap mm. because they think, well, I've built this re relationship based on the community or being friends with them now. Um, I'm scared to ask them to if I can work with them in this sense. But my my, my answer to that would be they know what you do, mm. they know what your job is. You're not, you know, you're not Martin Dresser's lamb. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, they know what your job is. Mm. Um, they would probably expect it at some point anyway. And mm. you're asking them because you because presumably you feel like you're going to do a good job for them because you're mm. good at what you do. So don't be scared to say, listen, you know. We like each other. Um, I'm working with you in this sense. How about we help you on these roles you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. And that's typically how's that typically being received? Because obviously yeah. people can be worried about it. Yeah, I think look, people, people. People are, and I've engaged with, they'll either say yes or no, but mm. it's certainly not, you know, they, they, they're not shocked. They're not you know, yeah. offended when I ask them, you know, yeah. they're, they're probably expecting it at some point because they know I'm a recruitment company. But is, is, the, is the important part here that like, for this community piece to work, you need to lead with giving more rather than taking. Yeah. But at the same time, I think this is what we've spoken about, and we're like, you've, you've, at the same time, you've got, you've got to ask and you've got to have a balance of not just doing it for community's sake. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you've got to know, you've got to, when those opportunities come up, you think, actually, there's, there's something there, and I reckon I could help this client. You've mm. got to make the leap and just ask. Yeah. Uh, but if you've given something good to the community, first of all, in the, in the form of podcast, data, information, then you know, don't feel guilty. So what would you say, like, going into this year now, what would you say are the, the things that you've really learned? It all seems like a bit of a blur to me, but, like, obviously, you, when you was a MD and still are at, um, at Interquest, like, throughout the whole COVID period, what are the main things that have stayed with you that you think that you're really taking into this year and will continue to? What are the main things that you learned, do you think, during that period? Because I'm sure it would have been really difficult for you from in the leadership role. This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. 
like always, I think the best way to hear about a product and how it's had a positive impact on a recruitment business is by listening to the customers who've invested in the product. But before you hear a really great soundbite from Ben Broughton, who is the founder of Premise, who we've actually had on the podcast, there's a good chance right now if you're a recruitment business owner that you're hiring. Your clients have loads of jobs. You need more people to help deliver on these jobs. So you're probably thinking, one, how can I hire more people? And two, how can I get more people up to speed doing more deals quickly? Well, in this short soundbite, you're going to hear how investing in the right tech, having the right tools can absolutely impact your speed to competency and get likely your trainees that you're going to hire up to speed more quickly. So have a listen to Ben. And as always, if you like what you hear, go and check out Sourcebreaker. Use the link in the show notes. You will be stupid not to, and uh, you will get an exclusive deal and money off the product if you go through the Recruitment Mentors podcast. So go and check it out. Enjoy. Saucy B, Sourcebreaker, huge, huge fan. Oh, mate, love, love it. Absolutely love it. Adam and Steve down there, brilliant, brilliant product. I've been a massive champion and ambassador of it since it was a bloody spreadsheet, God knows how many years ago, to, to the incredible product that it is today. Sorty Bid's brilliant for, we were talking about that kind of growth and scale, bringing new consultants into your business, trainees, that product will help them be more effective quicker. We did, I did some crazy ROI stats in terms of bringing, bringing rookies to the business, getting them using Sourcebreaker, the Boolean tools, the MI chasing, all that kind of stuff, absolute no-brainer for your business. I think by continuously making sure I'm making an effort to provide our clients and our contacts with information from, from, nice. the, from the BD side, I think, or, or from the, the external side, certainly, um, I think just making sure I'm constantly out there trying to help our clients and our communities working. Mm. Um, and we did, I did that more than ever in 2020, and that's something I'll take with me. Love that. So let's, let's talk about more recent times then. So how, how long have you been into your own business journey then? So I started officially at the beginning of November. The first couple of months was just on branding. started running my own podcast for that and then went live 1st of January. 1st of January. And then what, what's the sort of niche that you're focusing on? So really it's, a, it's an embedded talent model. Mm. So working as an extension or as the internal talent teams with businesses when they have specific hiring requirements or volume recruitment. Mm. So it's not the traditional recruitment agency. Yeah. Um, so it's a different sell. You know, it's a, it's a selling to... You know, you're, you're asking companies to part with money up front or mm. commit to money up front. So it's a completely different kind of sales cycle. And also with a brand new client base, because I'm going, yes. it's completely on my own. And yeah. the, Interquest, the clients I had before that are with Interquest, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's just talk about this for a bit, because I'm sure you've seen that th like this is more and more common, I feel like. Mm. Talent partners, pool working with X company via um, Interquest or whatever. So like you said it's a different sale what are the main differences besides money up front like i don't know because i think a lot of people using this terminology like solution selling and things mm. like that like what are some of the things that maybe you had to like adapt to or get better at or improve on when sort of selling a solution like this so i think the benefit of it is it's becoming a partner with the client you mm. know and i think the old-fashioned speculative cv model um it's, it's a long way away from that so it's working in partnership with clients it's about talking about the other things we can add value in terms of their processes mm. uh in terms of their structure in terms of their candidate experience, in terms of their onboarding. So it's mm. going deeper with clients. So it's not just about getting people through the door. It's, it's actually working with them on their brand and how to attract people into the group. Love that. And then what, and, and, and I'm sure this is a continued process, but like what are some of the key things that you look for in companies or for companies to have for you to go, you know what, a talent partner model or an embedded solutions model 
should, from what I can see, should potentially be a good fit? Like, what are the key things you look for? Is it that they're hiring a lot of people? Is it they have, they may only have one person in the people function? Do you know what I mean? What are some of the, the key things that make you go, you know what, that, that could be a, a good company that maybe we could really help with this type of solution? I think the, the ideal clients, I think, would probably be the ones who are maybe anything between 10 to 30 people. Yeah. They've got some funding. They haven't yet brought in a talent team themselves. Yeah. They don't necessarily want to or can afford to pay the high recruitment traditional fees. They don't really know how their process should work internally. Mm. So that's ideal for us yeah, to, be able yeah, to go yeah. in and work them in that sense. And actually what we can also do then is, is set them up with a talent team for when we go as well. So we kind of yeah. roll on, roll so like off. trying to future-proof them as well. Exactly. And then, like, how have you... You don't have to go into like the exact details, but I know people would be curious, like, are you saying, right, you pay this up front over X period of time, which is the hiring project that we've agreed to, and then if you, and then I know it's not just about people, but if you, I don't know, have you then got a separate fee attached to like, okay, if we deliver on five hires per month, then you pay this extra on top. How have you typically approached like pricing it out of interest? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we, we try and tailor it around what the client's yeah. after, but it could be on a subscription basis. Okay. So we'll be working with you, you know, five days a week, yeah. every day over this month and then we'll charge on a monthly basis. Okay. That looks like and there'll be SLAs, what do they expect from us during that time, yeah. which we can adhere to. It might be more that, listen, all we want you to do is fill these roles. Here's five roles and we'll price up what that would cost yeah, them to, yeah. for us to fill it. And I suppose we're valuing really, in that case, the commitment and the partnership more than the percentage. So yeah, we, can do yeah, it, yeah. we can do it a fair bit cheaper, but we know we're going to be the ones who are going to fill yeah, those yeah, jobs. Nice. So on the SLAs, I think that's, again, something that people be interested in. And I know this will vary. What have ended up being like, and again, this still might be like a, a learning journey for you, but what are typically the SLAs that you've like led with or have said, like, this is what... I know it's nuanced here, but I know people will be interested because I, I, that's quite a common question that I get. Mm. It's just like, Hisham, I'm, I'm selling this sort of mini RPO or we're going to be an extension of their business. What are people typically agreeing to from like a delivery standpoint? Because like you said, it's not just about bums on seats and people. Mm. So like, what have, what have ended up being the typical SLAs that you've ended up speaking to people about of interest on the deliverables? deliverables? Yeah, I think um, if you talk CVs sent, it's, it's not enough because of course, how yeah. is that CV going to be? So I think generally you try and base it on, and I've kind of learned, learned this from some of the guys at Interquest, is that it's how many people have they actually wanted to interview that you've sent them. So if you've got X okay. amount of people through through to interview stage that they've been happy with, that's probably enough of an indication that you're on the right lines with things. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, that's usually the SLA we're looking at. How's it going so far then? It's going okay. It's, it's, it's going good. I think it's... Uh, again, I'm, I'm starting from a brand new client base. Yeah, it's hard. It's um, and I'm sending a bigger sell. So it, it's, it's been fascinating. It's really, really fun. Mm. But it's tough, you know, because I'm building something from, from nothing with it. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, that's, that's what... Again. That's what, the, what's that's the been most challenging led. that maybe you least expected so far? Working on my own. Yeah, how's that been? It's been tough. And actually, so obviously we've been working from home largely, even with Interquest. But, you know, a couple, a couple of days a week where I'm not with Interquest, so I'm literally just working at home on my own. I've actually... There was a couple of times last week, I think, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit down. So I'm going yeah, go, to get in a WeWork myself for a couple yeah, of days yeah, a week. Nice. So I think just that, not even someone to call to talk about what we're like, yeah, yeah. daily challenges because like, you've always had that because yeah. I always had that and yeah you have good days and bad days with it when, yeah. when I um, went to like a co-working space that massively helped so you're going to look to do that yeah definitely just, just a day or so a week you know my mm. girlfriend's out of the house I'm literally in the house on my own so I'm just like no one to buzz off at all <laughs> and it's, uh, you don't rec- I didn't recognise how much I needed that yeah 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 and then how, how's it been obviously working with Integrest and then your, your own piece as well how's that been yeah, it's, I mean, it's been. I just feel really fortunate with it, really. Yeah, I, I really, I think that's. I really respect that because when you tell me, I don't, think, I don't know what how you feel, but I feel like if we were to sit down with one of your mates who works in recruitment down the pub and go, yeah, so I'm, I'm an MD at Interquest, doing that obviously part time, then I'm also doing my own thing. Yeah, like I mean, people go, really? 
Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's really refreshing of our CEO to kind of take that approach of it yeah. and kind of, you know, say this is the way to go. It's, uh, I love working with Interquest. I, mm. I love working with people there. So it's really, really good for me. And really, the model I'm selling isn't really in line with any, anything they're doing. And certainly yeah. my target audience will probably be companies smaller than they go after as well. I mean, Interquest aren't going to be worried about little old me anyway, going yeah. after my, my, <laughs> my, my new clients. I think they'll do, be, be just fine. So yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. So where, where would you like to see yourself in like, if we'd be sitting down this time next year then? Like, like where would you like to see the business? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say we've got, I'd like to have at least, I don't know, maybe 10 people working with mm. me out, out at some of our clients. Um, I'd like to have you know, like four to five solid clients who we're giving regular service to and working mm. on site with. So just, to, just I think the most importantly for me, my goal for the end of this year is to be self-sufficient from that business mm. um, and hoping that's where I'll get. Yeah, absolutely. And then what, so like has the main sort of, the, the difference, because a lot of people I feel like, I don't know how you feel when, they sort of go out and sort of start on their own. They really, they're like, we're doing things differently, these things. Obviously, you've got this this um, model that you're selling that's different. Is that like the main thing you're really leaning into? So like, this is how we do things differently. And like as well, that's something exciting for maybe new people to, to join and go, this is actually different the way that we're selling what the solution is. Is that the main thing you're leaning into? With the so with the clients with the we're, well yeah we're just in general because a lot of people want when they start the recruitment company mm. they're like we're going to do it differently in these things so the main thing that you're leading into is is that embedded talent solution a talent partner and that's what you're leading into as a difference yeah hundred percent and I think it's it it's um, there's a lot of flaws with the traditional recruitment yeah. model as well I think um, for one thing you know if you work in recruitment you could do the best job in the world and not get rewarded mm. for it which can be a shame so I think um, I've, I've looked at what I perhaps don't like so much about the recruitment industry yeah. um, both from the recruiter side and from the client side what the clients get as well and I think this model which is you know I'm not the first one to do it there's others yeah, out yeah, there yeah. doing it um, I think this looks like a positive way to go and do you feel like and I think you'll continue to find this but when I've spoken to people that have ended up doing that what they've really liked is what you sort of said really where they're able to really influence and get involved with more than just mm. hiring a couple of people and actually I don't know after a project or after working with a company you can go you know what well their process looked like this before and now it's this like is that something that I don't know that you're going you, you feel like you'll get even more joy out of within the job yeah and that's the thing really because I think since I set up the people culture and tech community with Interquest I've got really really kind of fascinated and passionate about company culture and, yeah, and what nice. companies are doing with their people and what, what things they can do to look after people. Um, so I've gone really all in on that. You know, I'm always reading stuff, I'm always learning about it, I'm always mm. wanting to have a conversation to find out what a company's doing differently. And then if I can share that and help another company find its way with that, then that'd be amazing. Yeah, I love that. So as we come to the end then, obviously you told us about the, the future and where you'd like to see, so I'm, I'm excited to, to see from afar. What would be your, I guess, just, just to hear Paul's take on like partner advice for anyone listening to this that really want to achieve their goals this year? Like, what would be your partner advice to those listening that yeah really want to have a, a good year this year? Yeah, firstly, work out what your goal is. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's that long-term planning. What do you actually want to achieve? Mm. Um, and is that monetary? Is that personal? Is that about your brand? So work mm. out what it is and then break it down. You know, break it. What do I need to do each month? What do I need to do each week? Um, I think as well, just really thinking about what you can do differently. You know, mm. there probably are still in, in this world more bad recruiters than good ones. Absolutely. So how can you stand out? What can you do differently to make you be known as the best person in that field and take a chance? Paul, I love it. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.